Well, hey there, Cheryl, how are you today? You know, if I was any better, I'd be twins. (laughs) (laughs) That got really weird really fast. (laughs) It did. But it's one of those days. It is one of those days. It's a recording day. Yes. Well, I wanted to ask you a quick question, and don't take this the wrong way, but do you know any good closing attorneys? I feel like I know at least one, but I have a very healthy self-esteem. So. <laughs> We're joking, but that is a question that I get asked, maybe not in that vein, right. with that level of snark, but I often get questions, especially when presenting an offer to a listing agent or when I am on the listing side and an offer is sent to me. And we are talking about the terms that are negotiable within a contract, one of those being the closing attorney. And the relationship that you and I have, that we've had over the years, and the way that I explain the value of having influence over who the closing attorney is in the contract is one of the most important conversations that I think I can have with the other side of the transaction. I greatly appreciate you giving it that much thought because I, yeah, when I first started out as a closing attorney and I would have to write, I was inside of a real estate office. So I, I, you were inside my real estate office. I was. And I grew, so I grew up as a baby attorney working, you know, with shoulder to shoulder agents all day long because, you know, 20 years ago we were all in offices and we were in offices together. And so part of what they asked me to do because I was inside of a real estate office was put together lunch and learns you know it's a marketing opportunity gets people there as all agents know that are listening to this if you feed them they will come and so but you you like to add a little bit of learning with uh with lunch and lunch and learn exactly one of the first articles that i wrote was don't leave your level of service tbd because we were getting purchase and sale agreements you don't see it nearly as much anymore but we were regularly getting contracts where the closing attorney in the contract was to be determined was tbd Mm -hmm. over and over and over again and so the whole point of my article was do you think that all attorneys are so good that we will all do a phenomenal job and there's no difference in service level or do you think we're so irrelevant to the process that it doesn't matter whether we're good or bad because I'm sure it will close anyway. I'm going to answer both of those questions with a resounding no. Correct. I absolutely know from firsthand experience that you are not all created equal. I'm not going to say that you're the only competent one that I've ever dealt with. But I will say the more I've worked with you over the years, and we met in 2001, just to give anybody who's listening to us a little bit of backstory. When I, when I was laid off from a corporate job right after 9-11, I became an unlicensed assistant, and that's when you and I met. So we've known each other, what is that? 22 years. Yes. And so I will say that over the years, the value that I see in having that person that you know you can go to with literally anything, any legal question, some of the things you've answered for me have not even been directly related to real estate over the years. We've dealt with some really difficult transactions and some difficult clients and some just confusing and complex scenarios. So no, you're not all created equally and you are absolutely, in my opinion, not irrelevant. In fact, there are several transactions that I could name off the top of my head where both I and my clients fully recognize the value of having had you listed as our attorney 
because you were able to get us not just closed, but closed on time in pretty difficult circumstances. I think one of the things that I learned fairly early was it's not the great, awesome, smooth transactions where you build relationships and you bond. It is, it's the tough ones. Mm -hmm. It's the ones where there was some amount of difficulty. And, you know, we talked about, we've talked about in at least one prior episode, basically agents understanding what their elevator speech is Mm -hmm. and what they bring to the table. Their value proposition. Their value proposition. And as a closing attorney, you better figure out. And obviously I didn't know it as well, you know, 21 years ago as I know it now. But I understand what my value proposition is. And my value proposition is I fix problems. Mm -hmm. And I fix problems, hopefully, in a way that that keeps the transaction together if that's what's in everyone's best interest. I always joke that I practice happy law because, you know, usually in the legal fields, there's going to be a winner and a loser at the end of a lot of transactions. And that's not what we deal with when we deal with real estate. Let's hope not. Exactly. So, you know, if, if everything works out, then you've got a buyer who gets a house, you've got a seller who gets money and gets to go on and whatever their next next chapter is of their life. You've got two agents who get paid. If there's a lender, you've got a loan officer who made an income on the transaction. I made money. Everyone can possibly win. Um, and so it, it's really, it's solving it's solving the problems. That's where we prove whether or not we're, we're good at what we do. And you mentioned it's not the smooth transactions that prove your value. Wouldn't it be a great problem to have if the reason people thought that closing attorneys were irrelevant or unnecessary or not integral to the transaction was because every single one was smooth? Right. And non-problematic, and you really were just, and I hate to say it because you're not, but you really were just a paper pusher. Right. Telling people what line to sign on at closing. But that's not the reality. And as our world becomes more complex, real estate becomes more complex, as some of our past episodes have illustrated 40-year listing agreements, lead-based paint issues. I mean, we've talked about some pretty complex things. So I guess what I want to get down to today is agents partnering with a closing attorney. Why should they do it? Why should they care? Partnership comes in really two main varieties, right? You have the partnerships that your brokerage has. Yes. And that is is a, a good avenue for looking to see whether you can build a relationship with someone. Yes. Uh, Because those are going to be the people that probably the only attorneys who are allowed to come into your office and give presentations and, you know, build relationships. And they are supposed to be the attorneys that are beholden to you. So there is, you know, obviously, in my opinion, as the payor, not the payee, the main point of those relationships is that the closing attorneys in some form or fashion financially support the brokerages and and in an age where they're trying to charge you less, the money's got to come from somewhere. I mean, it's not an infinite source. And that's why, just as a side note, we have those affiliated business arrangement disclosures that we should be seeing attached to every single contract these days. You can't point me in the direction of a brokerage. Not not any relatively major one. Right. Or even some minor local boutique ones. Absolutely. If you're a one-man show, you might not have a financial arrangement with a closing attorney or a lender or title company. But for the most part, if you're a member of a sizable medium to large to huge brokerage, you better have one of those. Absolutely. Yeah, that's going to be a RESPA requirement. Those forms are 
promulgated by the feds. The prior firm, the firm that I started working for in 1998 <laughs> uh, when, when I started. So uh, clearly a while back at this point, back in the 1900s, um, we, were, we were one of the first to develop one of those relationships and we developed it with your original brokerage. So mm-hmm. neither my original firm nor your original uh, real estate company are in existence anymore. Right. Uh, but we were there and we went through all of the iterations of what it, what is required. I think that there's been so much else going on in the last like maybe five years that you haven't seen a lot of enforcement actions. Right. But there are case after case after case of, of enforcement actions by the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. They are all published on their website. If you want to go take a look at them, we'll probably uh, the put CFPB. the yes, we'll put the consumerfinance.gov link into into the show notes. But all of that is out there. But so that's usually the the primary entrance, particularly as you're coming into a new brokerage, because you get introduced to those people. So if you're new to the business and new to a brokerage, those are going to be the first people who you know their name and they know yours. Right. And so that's a good, and that's how we met. And mm-hmm. we wouldn't have probably, I mean, we may have at some point, but we were more likely to have met, particularly when you were an unlicensed assistant. Um, we were more likely to meet because of that relationship. But yet the, the more important, in my opinion, the more important relationship that a real estate agent should have is with the go-to attorney, the person, right? Mm -hmm. It's not about the firm. Right. It's going to be the attorney who can supplement what you do and do not know in the process and be the person who also I tell you know because I teach to a lot of agents and we're attached to some brokerages and those people I don't necessarily know all their names because I'm up in front of 38 people they all know who I am but it's hard for me to learn 38 names when they're when they're not necessarily the ones who are regularly speaking and I, I tell them you know here's my cell phone number text me first if you need something I need to know your name because I get I get I've probably gotten 17 fake calls while we were recording the episode but what you want is that person you can go to right and the reason that they have my cell phone number is because a lot of what you all are dealing with is Saturday and Sunday stuff. Right. So that's when the, and those are when we're typically, obviously the, our offices are going to be closed, but we are still available to you. And it's important to note, I mentioned those affiliated business arrangement disclosure forms because that is indicative of a financial relationship, some sort of financial relationship or marketing relationship between the firms. Right. We as agents should not be, in my opinion, having any sort of a monetary relationship, partnership. I know those exist with bigger teams, but in my opinion, what we're talking about for the purposes of this episode are getting to know an attorney, absolutely, having a go-to, and quite frankly, because this is a frustration of mine, not just writing down a firm name in that space on your purchase and sale agreement, simply because that's who has an agreement with your firm. Right. Unfortunately, when that happens, you are at the mercy of that firm to just assign you to a pre-closer, an attorney, someone in the closing department. When you cultivate that relationship, though, now you have a person. That person, the attorney, probably has their own person who is the pre-closer. And now you have a direct phone number to them. You have their email address. You know the person who might be 
the pre-closer on every one of your transactions. It's your go-to person. They get to know how you do things, how you like to be communicated with, how your clients like to be communicated with, and it makes the whole process seem more streamlined. When I do have to use a different firm than yours, I'm navigating unfamiliar waters and I'm I'm trying to communicate to that contact what I've already told to my clients and how I've already prepped my clients as to how things will go because we want it to be smooth sailing to closing regardless of who we're working with. And I think it, and agents will think that whatever way they do it is the right way. And you should mm-hmm. think whatever way you do it is the right way because it's based upon your own experience and your clients and, and the way that you run your transactions. And the issue for closing attorneys is you don't all do it the same. Right. And so you do build that muscle memory of this is the way that these transactions are always going to go because if not, if you don't have a relationship with what you just described as a team Mm -hmm. is a team of people it's just that you know some of them work at a law firm and some of them work at a brokerage and what you want is that everyone knows what everyone else's part is that they're going to play and can trust that they will play it now I will admit I'm a little bit of a control freak yeah and I do like things done a certain way But it is, to repeat what you just said, based on my experience and what works best for my clients. And I think in a lot of ways, what would work best for a lot of people's clients, right? To make the transaction smooth. If you tell your client that something is going to go a certain way, and then it doesn't, now you have egg on your face. Right. But if you are part of that team, and if if I do find myself closing at a different firm, I try my best to get in with that pre-closer as quickly during that transaction as I can and ask them to do a couple of things for me just to make things smoother so that we all can communicate well and and get to closing without any major hiccups. And if I assume, and maybe that's a problem, I assume that every agent understands what all the pieces are that happen on the law firm side of it, but maybe, maybe you don't because maybe we don't really explain it and maybe we all don't also do it the same, but I have worked for more than one firm and, you know, I've typically worked for larger firms where there were smaller locations and offices and so you have little cells, little Mm -hmm. teams, Mm -hmm. teams within a larger organization and typically if you're hiring correctly as an attorney, that pre-closer is, yeah, they have technical requirements of things that they need to be proficient at, but their most important job is on the people side of things. Mm -hmm. So when you say you're building a relationship, they should be wanting to build it back. They should be, they want to know how you expect things to be done because then everybody, again, everyone's on the same page and they should also be aware that not everyone does it the same way. And that's the tell for me. And that's honestly how I judge if I am closing at a firm that I'm unfamiliar with. That's one of the ways that I judge whether I want to subject myself to having to close with them again. And there are some firms that if I see their name come across on a contract, I'll go to the other agent and I'll say, explain to me why you've chosen this firm. And a lot of times it is just because that's who their broker has a relationship with. And if they're not married to the idea of it and I've had a bad experience with that firm, I will tell them that and ask them, you know, politely, kindly, if this is a deal breaker for them, and if not, can we please change because of that experience? And it is it is that initial, it's that you don't get a second chance at a first impression. 
to be cliche, right? Right. When that pre-closer makes it very clear that they don't have time for me, they don't have time for my questions, they don't have any interest in building a relationship or doing things any differently than how they want to do them, which oftentimes is on their own schedule and not returning phone calls and emails in a timely fashion. I mean, it's very simple. It's a very simple list of checkboxes for them to satisfy for me. Well, and and the other thing about it is I think I would hazard a guess that if you're having an issue, and this is what I would invite all agents to do, if you feel like there's a disconnect because either this is the one that your brokerage really wants you to use and you're just not just not working or you're in a situation where you're you know you didn't pick and so you're in a co-op situation the first thing that i i think agents should know is that you should voice what your concerns Mm -hmm. and what your issues are and if that firm and the people within it care then you know there are always going to be things that don't happen the way that we want things to happen inadvertently or on purpose. And so in that situation, I know full well that you would express like, this is what I really need to have happen. And if that person had come back to you and said, uh, I'm so sorry. I'll fix it. No problem. It won't happen again. No, no problem. That's enough. That's not going to be the firm sure. where you say all things being equal. If I have any other choice in the world, I will never, never darken their door again because we are all human beings right. and stuff happens. So I do also want agents to know that if you don't feel like something is working out, you probably should pick up the phone call. Absolutely. Yes. And I have done that. And to your point too, one thing not going the way I wanted it to, that's fixable. Right. And it comes with experience too, right? Because, you know, what I might have done in 2006 when I was newly licensed versus what I'm doing now in 2023 are two very different things. Plus, I didn't know what I didn't know. But now that I am, you know, old and crotchety and set in my ways, I know that my very first contact with that pre-closer is going to be asking them to do a couple of things for me. One is, if you do communicate with my client correctly, please copy me. Because they may have questions, and if I haven't seen the email, I don't know what they're asking. Right. The other is, I like things to happen in a certain order so that no one is wasting their time. So let's let me send out... For example, the request for buyer information or the request for seller information for the closing file. I like to do it when we've completed due diligence because if my seller completes it now and the contract falls apart and we go back on the market and we get another buyer and now we have another firm, now they've wasted how much time filling out a form with their social security number and their mortgage loan information and let's not have them do things double, triple times. Let's have it happen one time. And if we can keep it in a in a reasonable order that makes sense for everyone. But I have to express that expectation. I, I can't expect them to be a mind reader. Exactly. That's a good example of something that you would tell agents, like, let me know how you normally do it. You want to get the Alta settlement statement first. You don't want it going directly to your client. You don't want to be copied on it. You want to be the recipient of it. Your preference and my preference happen to match on that just because I would rather our buyers and sellers not know how the sausage gets made. Right. So, you know, they're part of that smooth closing transaction. That duck sliding smoothly across the water and they never know we're all paddling like hell underneath. And, you know, when we send you a settlement statement, and you please look at it. When you look at it, it could be that we have made an error 
it could be that we have not been given something that was important. Home warranty invoice. Yes. Yes. And so that's that an would amendment be, to the contract that changed the sales price. I mean, something. That's one of the reasons. But again, this comes with experience, right? This is my experience over, you know, almost 17 years of being licensed and 22 being in the industry. I might not have thought about that in 2006. Oh, let me review the the settlement statement first to look for errors, yours or mine, or the other agents. Now that's high on my list of priorities because if I can find those, we get them fixed before it goes to the client. Because unfortunately, in any situation where we're dealing with the amounts of money that we generally are, I mean, even think about it, even if it's just a $100,000 starter home or condo or studio apartment, That's a lot of money to that person. Absolutely. And when they see a mistake, that makes them think, well, what else has been done incorrectly? They lose faith. And we don't want that. No. My first piece of advice then for anyone listening, whether you're brand new or you're a veteran agent, is think long and hard about the the steps that it takes to get from contract to close for your buyer or your seller. And where does the closing attorney or anyone in their office, the pre-closer, the closing department, anybody that touches that file, where do they fit? And think about what your expectations are. And quite frankly, reflect on the attorney that you automatically write onto into a contract. Is that because you truly prefer the service that you're given from that firm, the service that your clients are given from that firm, and the relationship? Or is it simply because that's who's on your broker's affiliated business arrangement disclosure. Right. When you are reflecting on those things and you're seeing where they fit in the contract and you're thinking long and hard about what your preferences are, is that attorney checking those boxes for you? And if not, either think about having a conversation with them and invite them to lunch, invite them to coffee, get together with the pre-closer, find a way to fix it, or do you need to start a relationship with someone else? And I think that's on us as the agents to think about that process and where the firms fit within it and what your expectations are. Because if you don't know your own expectations, how do you even know if you're happy? Obviously, a lot of agents are doing business all around Atlanta, right? And so a lot of the closing attorneys will have locations all around Atlanta. So it's not that I'm necessarily going to be the closing attorney who's at the table every time you do a closing, and and even less so with the amount of teaching that I'm currently doing. I'm more often out of pocket than not. But I am going to be the attorney who, you know, I have had transactions where they really wanted me to do it, and we worked out a schedule so that that could happen, you know, in a state that was problematic where I really helped out the seller and the agent wanted to make sure that I was there, you know, one where I was directly involved. So I think agents need to remember that there are, there are two places that the attorney shows up. There's all of the things that happen before closing. So that's the being available to answer questions, to help help when you're trying to write a stipulation and you're trying to not screw it up because stipulation writing is the practice of law. Please go back to our previous episode on writing special stipulations. Exactly. But the other part of it is the closing table. I know of one attorney in particular, and I'm not going to name or give the gender of that attorney so as to reveal nothing, and we don't currently work together. I think you like this person as a person, but those closings were some of the longest closings that you ever had and part of 
you know, and there are different, and everyone has their different personality. And I like to think, because again, healthy self-esteem, I like to think that I am able to give very good explanations of documents but that quickly. make the people feel very comfortable. And yet, at the forty-five minute mark, they're taking pictures. You know, so that is my goal. And a lot of whether it is a twenty-minute closing or a forty-five-minute closing is based upon the the level of explanation that. I think that buyer needs. Um, I have, you know, probably a good dozen closing personalities that I have the ability to use. I have been an attorney for 20 plus years. I live in a gated country club community. I am also the granddaughter of farmers and I can go to a Mississippi or Louisiana or Arkansas accent pretty quickly, particularly when I'm around, you know, family and friends. And so, you know, all of those personalities are are real. They're all little pieces of, of who I am, but the part of it that's going to most resonate with the with the person is going to be the, the one that I use. It's the ability to read the room. Right. Which is important. And the person that you were describing, I did really like as a person, but this person talked so much about irrelevant things that we were not taking pictures at the 45-minute mark. We were still signing at the hour and a half mark, yeah. right? There's also a person no gender to be revealed, that was just unpleasant at the closing table, that was also formerly part of one of the firms that you were with. And that became an issue for me because my clients were not leaving feeling joyful. They were leaving feeling chastised and almost as if they were being punished or, you know, sitting through a lecture rather than getting to be joyful about the experience of either selling or buying a property. And I also want to make the point that we all know that in all real estate transactions where there's a lender, which is probably most of what we deal with, the attorney represents the lender. So who is the client? It's the lender. But frankly, I like to think that most attorney firms, most real estate firms, believe that the agent is also in some form or fashion the client because we are the reason that this transaction is closing with you in most cases. You are the, the, the real estate agent is going to be the source of business. It's very rare that a buyer or a seller has a preference unless it's a family member or a friend, right? It's exactly. So there should be the expectation of a certain level of service. And that's the mindset that I approach it from. And mainly that's because of the expectation that you've set for me through a high level of service throughout the time that we've known each other. The other thing as you're as you're dealing with other closing attorneys, and obviously when we're sitting at a table, there are times, or we're going through a transaction, there are times when both of those agents would have picked us. Mm-hmm. So it does it doesn't really matter. But typically in our transactions, you're gonna have one side that picked us and the other side that just agreed agreed to it. Mm -hmm. And what a good closing attorney will do is provide a good level of service for both of those people. Because at the end of the day, I can do it for the self-serving reason of I want to flip your business to me. And so if you see a great experience and all of that, you may do it. But the other thing is one of the things that hurts my heart a little bit to the extent, you know, as a lawyer that I have a heart, is the, the stories of real estate agents who have been in offices where they weren't the source of business uh, sometimes like you know are particularly I mean the most horrendous ones were REOs Mm. uh, where you've got the foreclosure firms seller rep is really going to be the closing attorney and uh, new construction Mm -hmm. it can happen sometimes where you are 
really, really made to feel like less than yes. um, because you I've weren't. You're, you're made to feel as if you don't matter. And I will tell you, as someone who worked for a huge firm that did a whole bunch of new construction, including big track builders, and we had a, a massive art multi-state REO department, that we specifically set these transactions up in a way. In fact, during during like the mortgage meltdown, when there were a lot of foreclosures, we specifically had the seller rep tra- part of the transaction, the REO really side of it happen out of one office and we had the buyer sides close everywhere else in all of the other locations and the communication that came down from on high from Olivia was that we were to remember that they were important and our job was to make them feel important so I would tell you that you shouldn't just because you didn't peck them you should not expect to be to feel less than. Very, very good point. And I I think that if you are dealing with a firm that makes you feel that way, even if you did pick them, it's time to have a conversation first. Absolutely. But maybe pick someone else. Yeah, I mean, because there are times, I mean, you know, I went through a, a period of time where I I hired and let go a number of pre-closers right in a row. I lost a pre-closer and the, the replacement process for her was exceedingly painful. Yes. And you lived through it with me. And so there are, from the standpoint of letting the, letting the attorney know because there may be a staff person who is not, not the right person or not right for that role mm-hmm. or not right for that location or whatever else it is that's making it unpleasant or god forbid toxic um then letting them know but you should not you, agents need to remember that the very very last real impression that they have of you as an agent is that closing yes and and there are times when obviously bad things happen and you can shine through that and again like you know we 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 show who we are through the more difficult of circumstances but by and large these transactions are supposed to be celebrations Mm -hmm. and this is i tell people i welcome them to georgia when i see that they have an out-of-state driver's license and we've been talking for for 40 minutes i know where they're from right i ask them where they're from ask them how long they've been here you know because the the best way to be a good conversationalist is to ask questions and not talk so you know we have two ears and one mouth for a reason that is exactly right you can and should expect that and if you're not getting it you either need to have a conversation and if you can't get a change if they won't acknowledge the issue and and tell you that they're working on it then I think you have to make a bigger change because you're losing your own referrals when that closing is not even just when it's unpleasant but when it's stiff well and you and I have even had to have some of those conversations over the years oh yeah especially during the difficult period of you trying to replace the pre-closer that we both loved and it is not easy to have that conversation but it's a heck of a lot easier when it's someone you already have a relationship with if you can go to them and say things aren't going smoothly things aren't going well I'm not getting responses But I want to talk a little bit about outside of the contract to close period. There's other reasons to have a relationship. And I think specifically about something you and I started doing. I think it's been 
eight or nine years now, and that is having your firm, whichever firm it is over the years, run preliminary title for me for potential listings. And that has been probably one of the biggest value adds. If we're talking about a value proposition, right? It's not only your value proposition to me, but it's mine to my sellers, is I have a relationship with this attorney. I'm going to have them run preliminary title. And most sellers will say, what? You're not going to find anything. Everything's fine. Yeah. Nothing has happened. No one's ever been on this title other than me. And the things that you have found that we've been able to clear up, in some cases before the property even goes on the market, where the seller is so impressed. First of all, they're freaked out that there was a blemish on their title they didn't know about. Correct. But they're so impressed with the level of service and how swiftly it happens. And I think specifically about the one where we went on a listing appointment. I was getting ready for the appointment. I had you run preliminary title and your pre-closer called me and said, there's an issue with the title. There's someone else on the title. You need to ask this woman um, if her husband is also going to be signing the listing agreement. And when we showed up to that appointment, she informed me when I asked her that question that they were divorced, right. that he had moved back to his home country of Ireland, yeah. and that their divorce attorney from a billboard on the interstate, you know, uncontested divorce, $495 or whatever the heck those signs say, had said that they were taking care of it for them as part of the divorce, and they never did. So how shocking it was to her. And then the process was that we had to ask this man to drive across the country. Thank goodness it was teeny tiny Ireland and not, you know, France or Germany or, or Greenland. For, or or <laughs> Iran where we, Somewhere don't, where we have... don't have an embassy. Yeah. But he had to drive across the country to the embassy to have an American notary public witness him signing these documents that they both believed had been taken care of years before. And not only that, thank goodness that it was friendly enough that he was willing to do so. And given the the extra time that we had, because we were doing this at the very beginning, because you have the possibility when you have a foreign person who owns an interest in real estate, you have a very obnoxious withholding tax that can apply. But we were able to structure the transaction where she didn't lose 15% of her gross proceeds at the same time. And I've told that story over and over and over again because it because the reason for you guys, the reason that, that we started doing this, yes, there is the value add of that, but this also allowed Mora to put in the listing that title had already been run and mm-hmm. give a real reason why she had her preference as a closing attorney. And typically, the other side's going to do the same thing that Mora does, ask why, you know, why do we have to, well, they already have title. There was a title issue. They've already resolved it. We've cleared it. You know, all of those other things. Now, the the actual title part of it is good, but that also meant that there were fewer times when she as an agent had to go from random closing attorney to random closing attorney that she didn't know and recreate the relationship wheel Mm -hmm. with all of those people. Now, I will say I am fully aware, as many agents who have over the years gotten a little contentious about me expressing a preference when it is my listing. Because technically, I know we say the buyer has the right to choose, but at the end of the day, the lender... That's only if the seller agrees to a contract. (laughs) Right, exactly. And you do represent the lender. So there's a lot of moving pieces here, but it's not because, as I I did mention earlier, that I'm a control freak. That's not the reason that I want to express a preference. I explain this in my listing consultations and in my buyer consultations why my relationship with you with your firm is important and how it can be a benefit to them. Because of that, I write into my listing agreements 
that given the option, the seller agrees that they would also prefer, and this is only if they do agree, right? right? But we do write in a stipulation that they just sign off on. They have them initial it that says that they're aware that I have a relationship and that we are having preliminary title run and they are starting a closing file. And that given the opportunity, the seller would also express the preference to close with you and your firm. And I think that not only is that another education opportunity for your buyer and or your seller to be aware of the relationship, the value to them, and why the closing attorney is an important part of the process. Because if all goes well, they only see you as a paper pusher. Right. And so they may be questioning the fee that shows up on the closing statement that they, or if they are the buyer, that or if they're contributing to closing costs if they're the seller, why does this attorney charge X? Well, this gives them, before we even start talking about closing, before they're even listed or before that buyer has even found a property, this gives them a glimpse of the value that you bring to the table. Similarly, on the buyer side, yes, we want to close with you, but the minute that we have a contract, I'm asking the pre-closer, how quickly can we run title? We need to make sure there's nothing wrong because we don't want those things that can hold up the closing. And unfortunately, I think we've all been there as agents. The attorney firms that don't do things as quickly or as immediately after a contract is reached. Right. And then why am I hearing about a title issue three days before closing, a week before closing? We should have known about that four weeks ago, six weeks ago when we had a binding contract. And that's what I'm trying to avoid. There are agents that will not send us a contract at the very beginning because they are they don't want us to spend time or energy or money. I, I would tell you all as agents, let that be my problem. Don't make it yours. And good attorneys, in my opinion, good attorneys are not going to order the title backwards from the day of closing or after due diligence or any of those other things. And we, we within the current firm, have a couple of people, Amy and Whitney, and they are the people who do nothing, but they open all the files and order the title. And we do them as soon as these things are possibly received. Let us worry about what we pay for title exams. And any attorney for whom I, I think they're falling over dollars to chase dimes if their primary concern is whether they have to eat a title periodically. And the only exception we really make to that is commercial titles because they're, they're, they're just a monster. They're a different thing. But for residential, no, we're opening these things up immediately. We want to know exactly what's going on. And, and I don't understand from from a business perspective, having worked for many firms, I've never worked for one where we held up ordering things at the beginning. So I, I think that if you have one who's waiting till after due diligence or something like that, or you're, you are getting title problems that happen at the end, I mean, there's always the possibility that those sorts of things can happen if you don't give us enough time. And I would ask you all to please give us more than a week to go from opening the file to closing it. That would be super awesome. We can probably, we may be able to make it happen, but you understand like that there are a lot of moving parts to these transactions and uh, a little bit of time and attention wouldn't be a bad thing (laughs) to have uh, with regard to them. But usually when something's coming up at the end in a transaction we're involved in, it's because something new has come of record, you know, so it's one where particularly like in divorces where they're fighting and things like that. But for the most part, we know what everything is at the very beginning. So let me ask you this as, as an agent who... As you know, I try to close 
all of my transactions with you, meaning with your firm. Yeah. Because as we said, you may not always be at the closing table. So I do put the preference into my listings because my sellers sign off on it on the listing agreement. I do put it into my contracts that I write for my buyers. Again, we put that in our buyer brokerage that they acknowledge that we've explained those benefits to them. But since no agent can truly, unless it is an REO or a situation where it is non-negotiable, really no agent in a traditional transaction can guarantee a certain number of closings or any closings to any one firm. What are the benefits to you then? If I said to you, you know, Cheryl, I just, I can't guarantee that I'm going to be able to close anything with you. Why would you still, and you know that, right? And of course you know that. I mean, we have files where we ran the we ran title on the listing, and they had well, to close somewhere else. Yeah, yeah, because we can't let that be the deal breaker for the buyer or the seller. Exactly. What is the benefit then to you? Why would you want to have this kind of relationship without any form of guarantee? I think that well, a a couple of things. First of all, I spend a lot of hours at work. And so building relationships, I remember at the very beginning of this, having a conversation with the attorney that I worked for, and he was a lot older than I was. And I said, I said something about, about an agent that was a friend. And I, and then I felt like that was unprofessional. So then I qualified it. I'm like, you you know, I mean a work friend. And he's like, no, Cheryl, he's like, you know, that you're doing the right thing when they're your real friends too. Mm -hmm. And so I enjoy that. I personally also, because of the teaching and the other things that I've done over the years, I really am trying to contribute to this as a profession. At the end of the day, my sense of whether I had a good day or a bad day is really how many people did I help do that. That's the thing that hits my ego, right, is what can I do? What can I do to help somebody else? Yes. And because I do feel like I'm a problem solver and I like puzzles and I like figuring things out, then I get a shot of adrenaline when someone asks me for help and I give it to them. And when you know that you helped. Yes. When you can solve the puzzle or, you know, solve the problem. And, And I understand that from the teaching perspective too, especially, for example, when I teach the military relocation professional class. Yeah. And I say to people in that class, if you ever have a problem with a VA contract, call me. And then they're somewhat surprised when I answer or when I call them back or when I when I have a resource for them. I know that adrenaline rush and yeah. it's a good one. Yes. So we've talked about contract to close. We've talked about the preliminary title piece, which to me is a huge piece of the puzzle from a value add perspective for my listings. Well, and if you if you go back, if you haven't listened to our 40-year brokerage agreements and some of these other filings of equitable interest and some of the other things. You know, I got a call this morning from uh, one of our pre-closers to say that she's got two or three more files that have these things filed in the titles mm-hmm. where there, where there's, you know, we, we had one recently where the this, this uh, separate company made a claim of $50,000, that that's what they wanted in order to release this marginally executed document that had been filed into the county records. Mm-hmm. So I really do think that that is, there's even more of a reason than when we started doing this. Sure. Am I missing anything though? What are some other things that would be a value add to agents if they went a little bit out of their way to build these stronger relationships with an attorney or attorneys or a specific firm? Do you remember the transaction that we closed where the 
<laughs> there was an HOA letter. And you are one of those agents who always wants to see a copy of the HOA letter. It's another part of your process. That's another tip for you. Always request that HOA clearance letter, friends. It, exactly. So you, as a part of your process, when we got the HOA letter, we gave it to you. You asked about, I thought that there was a special assessment. And so you had questioned it. We went back to the HOA and it was one, not with a big management company. It was individually run. So we asked them and they said, oh, yes, there was. It's paid. And then we closed based upon we had that in writing. So mm-hmm. we didn't have to collect anything. We didn't have to do anything. And then we closed. After closing, your buyer was contacted because apparently half of it was paid and not the other half of it. And so you called me and you were like, I don't know what you can do. I don't know what we can do. I don't remember that it was a phenomenal amount of money. There was a little bit of the principle of the thing. And the other thing is whether it's a lot of money or not, it's still your money and you don't want to pay it when you're not, when you don't have to, you know, in that situation from a typical attorney perspective, I had done my job. You had done your job. She could file a claim on her title insurance at that point and get covered. But what I did instead was I picked up the phone and I talked to the manager company or talk to the person who um, who ran the HOA and he's like well it was an error I said I I completely get that I said obviously there was no bad actors in this thing it was an error I said but my long history of being an adult and a business person is that when someone makes an error they eat their error and I said it wasn't it wasn't my error and it wasn't the buyer's error and I said if you would like to go after the seller for it you can certainly do that but you're gonna need to eat this and he's said, well, you know, the problem is we really can't afford to. And I said, well, you're really going to have to. And I said, I said, because I'd like to walk through with you what the process of all of this looks like. You're going to send a bill to her. She is going to file a claim against her title insurance. I am the issuing agent for that title insurance, which means that now I am going to do a couple of things. I am number one going to sue you and I have attorneys and I am an attorney. And the other is I'm going to report to the title companies that your HOA letters cannot be relied upon for a closing and then no one will be able to get title insurance in your neighborhood. Now, whether it would have actually gotten to that extreme, I don't know, but there's always that possibility. And at the end of the day, they waived the, the, I think it was four or $500, whatever it was. Which was the the right thing to do. Honestly, whether they could afford to do it or not, when we'd been told that it had been paid. And they had already, they had already made one error when they gave us the letter to begin with. And we all had not just ignored it. We had done, we had gone the extra step of questioning it and clarifying it. And then they made a second error by giving us bad information. Those sorts of things that may be slightly past what would be the normal expectation, but that's, that's what you want. You want someone, and, and, and I can't help with, with everything. I got a call on last on the last Friday the Friday before Christmas so obviously awesome time and the first thing the agent said is I'm so sorry I'm bothering you I I hope you're at home and I'm like no I'm not I'm in a five-hour closing (laughs) and so um because you know all the magic happens the Friday before a holiday their question was it was new construction it was one and a half million he had they had probably 
over a quarter of a million dollars in construction deposits and upgrades and all of these other things in it. There was a problem with the hardwood floors. And and I couldn't physically help, but I gave them the best suggestions that I could and the name of a litigation attorney. I'm like, look, if any attorney is going to contact this builder and have a conversation with them about it, you really do need someone who's going to be able to litigate that at the end of the day. And that's not going to be me, but I will give you, and I'm like, it's the Friday before Christmas. I do not know if you will be able to get any attorney to respond to you at this point but I'll give you I'll give you a name if and I can give you a second one if you need it and so I'm, I'm here to not go past what I have the ability to do but at least try and help and in my opinion the biggest value that you have to me and and hopefully vice versa is the ability to just bounce ideas and thoughts off of you oh yeah each other and I will say as sort of a closing, comment to this conversation that I usually know the right answer. It's very rare that I call you or my brokers and I'm completely stumped, right? Right. But it's so helpful to have someone corroborate with what you think is right and to, and to, or to give me a slight twist on that or looking at it from a different angle or one other possibility of a different avenue we could go down if we're truly trying to solve a complex puzzle. Or even another reason that you're correct so that when you're explaining this to your client, you have that extra backup of, I knew this was the right answer. I just didn't know all of the reasons that it was the right answer. Right. Right. And I think, you know, having that relationship, I don't know that I would have 17 plus years as a licensed agent and then, you know, 21 or 22 in this business if I didn't have the resources that I have, you being a huge part of that. I don't know that I would have had the long desire to keep doing what I'm doing because I don't know that I would feel that I'm as good at it if I didn't have the team like you said earlier, right. behind me. And that's you. It's your team in your office. It's the great lenders that I work with. It's the great home inspectors I can recommend. But one of the most important pieces of that puzzle is the attorney relationship. And I'm, I'm so glad that we have that. Well, I, I thank you. And obviously, you know, all of the people that work for us are a part of that. A lot of what my training came from as an attorney wasn't, uh, yes, I got training from the other attorneys, but but the staff, I mean, there was a one, particularly one closer in the office who is really largely responsible for all of the initial training that I got. Um, so when we're talking about who the closing attorney is, yes, it may be Cheryl that you're texting on a Sunday afternoon because you're trying to solve a problem, uh, but everyone else that you have within the organization is is immensely, you know, immensely important and immensely responsible. And and agents should see all of them as part of the team. And, you know, obviously there may be some people that are listening to this that are in states where it's not attorneys who are who are actually as involved uh, because there are more of title company states. And I'll be really honest, I don't know what that feels like. I don't know what it looks like in practice. I am, you know, as a lawyer, I'm very attached to attorneys being, uh, being settlement agents here in Georgia. And I think that you should take advantage, regardless of whether you're in a title company or an attorney state, you should take advantage of all of the information and the history and the institutional memory and the expertise of all of those people. And if they're not helping you, they're not the right person for you. 
And I think as as our industry becomes more complex, which it 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 has and it will continue. Unless you've been living under a rock, you know that we have an ongoing lawsuit situation with the Department of Justice regarding right. our commissions. There's if you listen to our last episode on lead-based paint, if you listen to the one before that in December on the 40-year brokerage agreements, listing agreements, there's a lot to know. Having that relationship with an attorney if you're in an attorney state, obviously it makes that easier, but having those relationships, and if you don't have them, or if you're new to the business and you just haven't had that chance yet, here's the thing, put it on your to-do list. Absolutely. It's January, it's a fresh start, it's a new year, and it's still winter. So you may have a little bit of downtime or time to fill, but make it a priority to reach out, make those connections, go for coffee, go for lunch. Ask if you can sit down with a pre-closer don't take up a ton of their time, but just sit down and talk through the process. What do you need to know and how can you set your own expectations so that you're setting your client's expectations well and you are having smoother and smoother transactions based on the resources and what that attorney can bring to the table. I can't add anything better than that. Well, we hope this was helpful to you and we hope to see you back next time when we have more great insight and knowledge to share. Absolutely. Have a great day, guys. Bye.